0: would not give this up for the world. I wouldn't give up my hearing loss. You couldn't take it away from me and give me normal hearing because I wouldn't be who I am.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. Today's episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters who make episodes like this one right here possible. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash intern. Today's episode is with an audiologist named Lauren Keller, who is just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful woman. I had so much fun talking with Lauren. This was like one of my favorite interviews that I've ever gotten to do. Um, For those of you that don't know what an audiologist is, it's somebody uh, that is a doctor, not a medical doctor. Well, Lauren will explain all of that. Anyways, they study uh, hearing and they help people with any form of hearing loss or a hearing... Disabilities or difficulties. And Lauren, right now, is working with a nonprofit helping children between the ages of basically at birth to three years old um, and their families kind of explore the different options that are available to the child and the family, uh, depending on what level of hearing loss the child has. So, um, a big thing that we'll talk about in this episode. Is what it means to be deaf and the uh, capital D deaf community and deaf culture, which is a very big, um, beautiful, wonderful group of people in this whole this whole entire culture in the United States and this whole entire culture in the world um, of people. So why exactly a parent might not want particularly a deaf parent might not necessarily want um, a, a hearing implant for their child um, and uh, yeah, just lots of really fascinating stuff covered in this episode. I loved it. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So that makes sense. But I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Without further ado, here is Audiologist. Lauren, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
0: Happy to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am like, I've written this to you in an email already, but I am so excited to talk about this. I had the blessing of uh, being very terrible at learning Spanish when I was in high school and just like not focused on it. And uh and I got I think like a D my first year, a couple like semesters in Spanish, then I tried it again and I (laughs) I just like I I might have not even like finished the second time. I was just like, I don't even really enjoy this. And my high school happened to teach American Sign Language. So uh for my junior and senior year, I took American Sign Language and fell in love. Like not only did I absolutely love doing sign language, um, but my teacher was a huge supporter of uh, the deaf community and was really into Uh, teaching us about what it meant to she was she herself was not deaf but wanted to teach us about what it meant to deaf people to be deaf and that there was this whole um like a capital d deaf and there's this culture behind it um and what it meant to be hard of hearing and all these different things and uh when i was in high school we my my best friend and i uh, who was also in sign language class we would go to um uh like deaf plays which are just absolutely beautiful um so first of all if anyone here is listening has never been to a deaf play i cannot recommend more that you try to find one in your area they're so cool um so we would do stuff like that and and go to other like uh deaf conventions and stuff like that um we just both really enjoyed the whole thing and uh when i got in college i took more uh another class in sign language and uh yeah i've always just like love that world so much it's such a um a cool special beautiful world so uh when i learned about you and being an audiologist and all these things i was so excited to talk to you so um first before we jump into being an audiologist and then the interesting work that you're doing right now uh tell us a little bit about your background and your history because you yourself are hard of hearing and this happened when you were very, very young. Um, So tell us a little bit about that and what kind of piqued your interest uh, into going into the field of audiology.
0: Absolutely. You know, we were talking earlier about um, audiology being like, "Ooh, what's audiology? You had mentioned that. And you know, it's not a common term. And I don't think it's something that would be common in my world unless I had the experiences that I have had. So I have hearing loss, and my family discovered that I had hearing loss when I was about three years old. Um, I have an older sister. She's two years older, and she was at home with me all the time, of course, until she went to preschool, and mom said, she went to preschool two to three hours. You slept the whole time. I got all my stuff done. I should have probably used it for one-on-one time, but you slept. Okay. No big deal. Hmm. And then when my sister went to kindergarten, she went to kindergarten all day. I was, you know, at that point, of course, three years old. And all of a sudden mom started noticing different things because my big sister who would relay everything to me wasn't there anymore. And one day I was riding my bike in the cul-de-sac and I don't really remember this. I just have like a snippet Uh, Kind of flashback memory. And I was riding my bike in the cul-de-sac and I guess my mom was sitting on the porch yelling at me to stop or move because there was a car coming. I never heard her. I never heard the car. The last thing I remember was turning over my, looking over my shoulder and a car slammed on its brakes. My mom sprinting down, like picking me up, like, didn't you hear me? Didn't you hear me? And I was crying, no, no, no. And so then she started doing all these tests at home. Like she would put me at certain distances and turn me around and ask me things and be like, what did I say? And I, and I guess finally at one point I said, Mom, I can't hear you if I can, if I don't see you. And that's when she knew there was a problem. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. did and she almost she...
1: think that you were like lying at first like trying to get out of yeah. trouble type thing so that's why yeah. she's like oh turn away tell me what i'm saying because i can like right. you know see if you're lying
0: exactly it was like a little test like uh, she said she i was like, what did you ask me she's like i asked you if you wanted to go play like i'd ask you about your favorite things and you just you couldn't do it and then she's like i you know was t- you know talking to your dad she's like of course this is before cell phones and everything and my dad came home from work and He said, um, you know, we were sitting, we always sat as a family for dinner and we were sitting there and he was like, Lauren, can you hear the TV? And my dad having a male voice and he has a deep voice, I can hear men's voices better than women's voices. He said, can you, if you, I said, yeah, I could hear the TV. And he goes, what are they saying? And my parents said, I looked at them and said, I didn't know they talked on the TV. And that's when they were like, (laughs) oh, no. So
1: you could just hear this like cacophony of noise. All you yes. knew is like, oh, there's like this noise, but I don't, I can't yes. discern what's what.
0: Yeah. So he had made my sister turn up the TV until I could repeat back the words of what they were saying. And I guess it, I know how loud the TV has to be <laughs> without my hearing aids. in. so I, they were like, oh no. And they were like, okay, no big deal. It's probably just fluid in her ears and she'll probably just need to get tubes. You hear a lot of times little kids needing tubes in their ears because they get a lot of infections. You know, so they thought that's all it is. And they took me in and to the ear, nose and throat doctor. Of course, they didn't know what an audiologist was at that point in time. And Mm -hmm. he looked in there and he said, nope, it's clear. It's good. And they're like, I'm telling you something's wrong. She's not hearing. And they told my, you know, told my mom, you're just paranoid. She's fine.
1: So they didn't even Um, know what an audiologist was.
0: (laughs) They didn't refer. No, they didn't do anything. So my mom, obviously with the mother intuition that she had, she goes, that's not right. So she took me to another one and they're like, well, let's have our audiologist check. And she's like, the what? And you know, there was a woman who was an audiologist. And at that point in time, you just had to have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree to practice in audiology. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, I'm sure. Um, But they did a test and they're like, yeah, she's got has some hearing loss. Well, again, I was only three years old. So when kids are too young to reliably test like that, doing a behavioral test. Um, what they do is they will sedate the child and they'll do something called an ABR or or an auditory brainstem response. And the child doesn't have to respond. So it's a completely objective measure to measure where the hearing is at. And that's what they did. And my parents, you know, after the test results, you know, they told them like this has nothing to do with fluid in her ears. It has to do Um, with the way her actual hearing nerve functions. So I have what's called sensory neural hearing loss and it's, it's very similar in both ears and it's moderate to severe in both ears. So I am, I don't identify as deaf. I identify as hard of hearing or having hearing loss because even without my hearing aids, I'm able to hear while it's very muffled and I have a hard time. I still have what I call usable hearing. So because of that, I, um, was fit with hearing aids, and I got those about at like three and a half, close to four. So by the time all of these tests were done and redone, and mom of course took me to second and third opinions because are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> and um, you know they they did that, and they had me fit, uh, and I wore hearing aids consistently ever since that time. My parents are very. They're very good parents and they said you're gonna get these hearing aids, you're gonna wear them, no if, ands, or buts. And they said a couple of times I was like, No, thanks, I'm done with them. And they said, This is not a choice. You're wearing your hearing aids, you need to hear. Yeah. And that was the rule, and that's what I've done ever since.
1: Before we um before we get into what you do and talking about being hard of hearing versus deaf and like mm-hmm. there's like so much to talk about in this interview. I would love to know a little bit more about later points in your life and uh mm-hmm. like the impact of having um, to wear the hearing aids and all these sorts of things mm-hmm. like what was it like when you were in like junior high school and high school and like all these things like were you self-conscious about this and like did you ever just like rebel and throw away your hearing aids and or, like you know any, any weird times in your life because of it?
0: <laughs> Those are awesome questions so I was when I was that younger that three four five I was this really shy laid back quiet kid I mean my parents were like you hardly talked well no died <laughs> I heard, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So I was really shy, introverted, embarrassed easily. Over those first few years, once I got my hearing aids, I actually became more confident. Um, I also became, I am consider myself an athlete. So I love to like play outside the neighborhood roughhouse with the boys, go climb the trees and do all of those things. So I was very comfortable in my skin there, um, you know, in the neighborhood. I did go to a private Catholic school from uh, first through eighth grade, and it was very strict, and there was not a lot of social interaction because you were quiet in between classes. It was just... There, I didn't find socialization as easy for me, um, but I didn't really care as much because I focused on school, and that's what I did at school. Um, There were a few things that occurred, not many, nothing that was like, I never went home crying. I never rejected my hearing aids. I knew I needed them. You know, I'm a practical person. I've always been a very black and white person when it's like well you need this and this is what it is it could be worse and you go on so you know through junior high through eighth grade it i was good so when you were it, going
1: sorry to interrupt really quickly because mm-hmm. no, uh, so you were going to school in the 90s and the 2000s um yeah wh- like how small are hearing aids at this point and, and like the type that you had to wear
0: Yeah, so they were not cool then. They were still brown (laughs) and big and ugly and behind my ear, and there were these thick tubes. And then I had to get the ones that went in the ear that you've seen like your grandpa wear because I played softball, and the ones that went behind my ear kept breaking with the helmet. So I had to switch. And over this time, too, hearing aids went from analog to digital, so I had the, it was fortunate when I was able to switch from the behind the ear hearing aid to the in the ear hearing aid when I was like 11 or 12, but people were like, you have something stuck in your ear. And I was like, no, I don't. It's just my hearing aids. And I had to wear the the ones people said look like wadded up gum stuck in my ear because of softball. I I had to, with the helmet being back there, it was just easier for me. Right. Um. I still wore my hair up. I was still comfortable with that. And the thing is, is accommodations and resources weren't as readily available. Nobody mentioned them unless you got it. So I really struggled. I had to sit up front. I had to tell the teacher, hey, I can't hear you. I need you to repeat that. And There are all these wonderful resources that we readily use now Um For example, in the classroom, we use something called an FM system where there's a little, basically, like a little boot or a little connection onto the hearing aid. And the teacher is wearing a little microphone that wirelessly connects to the hearing aids. So no matter where the teacher walks, you can hear him or her with ease. I didn't have that. And I should have. I should have had those resources. But you learn. You know, my parents were, you know, as long as you're doing well in school, we'll just keep on doing what we're doing. And I just worked really really hard probably harder than I needed to in grade school I for sure for sure um you when I got to high school though I still had I still had those tiny little hearing aids that were stuffed in the ear all through high school um again I didn't go through a rebellious phase but there between like seventh grade and freshman year when I'm working with kids with hearing loss that's when they go goodbye hearing aids no thank you this makes me different people notice me and I don't want them Fortunately, I was I didn't go through that. Um I'm really blessed that I didn't kind of have that phase, but I was like I them. Need I needed to hear and it is what it is. Um it, it there were some things that people said at that point, but you know, there was a girl for example who had <laughs> She had one of my best friend in high school was a guy, and he was friends. We were friends with this. He was friends with this girl, and they were somewhere. And he was turning up the TV, and he said, "Hey, Ashley, he's like, I got it. He's like, get you're being so loud. I need to turn up the TV." And he's like, "Oh," she's like, "Oh, what? Hearing loss is contagious now. You can't hear too like your best friend." And he was obviously not happy with that comment. And she went on to say some other um nice not nice things. And of course, he called me and he told me afterwards. So I approached her, you know, we were at school the next day. I said, hey, Ashley, I heard what you said about me yesterday. She's like, what are you talking about? And I listed all things. I said, I just want to tell you, I am so flattered. I must be perfect in every other way that the only thing you can pick on me for was something that I can't control. So I must be gorgeous and smart and all of these other things because you don't have a negative thing to say in an area that I actually do have some control over. Wow, that's a pretty put together thing (laughs)
1: for a high school girl to say. I love that.
0: But He called me that night, so I had time to think about it the night before. So I was like, I got it. Love it. Um, So that was like no big deal. Girls are going to be girls and they'll say that. The worst thing that ever happened, though, in high school um, was from a a coach. And that's why it hurt me the most is um, she I was captain of of the softball team and we were having a camp for like the little kids. And she had sent me to Dunkin Donuts to pick up this order because we had, you know, donuts and bagels and things, you know, for the kids when they got there. And she sent me there to pick up all the stuff. And it was taking a long time because they forgot about the order. Well, in the meantime, she was talking to some of the softball girls and some the the uh, that were on my team and some of the younger girls, and she's like, "Oh, I don't know, what's taking Lauren so long?" She's probably sitting there drooling at the drive thru window, and they're probably yelling at her, and they don't even she doesn't even know that they're talking. Damn. Yeah, and that and she like went on and on about it, and I, um, I had a good, you know, all my friends on the softball team were like appalled. And they didn't tell me about it till after the camp. And, you know, I didn't report to the director. I took care of it myself. You know, I talked to her and I said, if you basically ever say another word to me throughout the rest of the season, I will report you on what you did. You will not have your job. Um, I don't I cannot believe as a coach that that's how you're going to choose to lead your team. You are going to make fun of me for my hearing loss. That's absolutely ridiculous that that's the again, that's what you're going to choose to make fun of me for as my coach you know, if people just, they do things for attention and you have to realize if it wasn't my hearing loss, it would be something else. I'm really short too. So she could have picked on that. I mean, <laughs> you have to realize in life that people are going to find something wrong with you just to criticize you. And fortunately, you know, I was very strong minded. My parents were really good supporters. My grandma lived with us until I was, when I was young, until she had passed away. Um, it was a strong religious values. And that's what I think, Anytime those challenges came up, I was able, fortunately, to get the, through those um, in a really positive way.
1: That's so cool. And I imagine that having had this whole life experience helps you in your job now so much. Um, before we talk about, like, I guess that connection that you kind of get to have with, with some of the kids that you deal with right now, let's uh, just talk about what an audi- audiologist is, what an audiologist does. So, obviously, they assess people's hearing. Um, yeah. Give us a little bit broader, I guess, and more detailed of a definition than that. And let's talk about the ways that people lose their hearing to begin with.
0: Okay. So hearing loss can happen to anybody. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're not always born with it. You know, I could have been born with it, but back in the 80s, they did not always do universal newborn hearing screenings, And now that is mandated. So now you have to have a universal newborn hearing screening. And that has really helped um, early identification of hearing loss across the 50 states. Now in smaller, more remote areas, There may not be qualified personnel doing it a baby may not pass their test and they oops we forget to follow up and so babies still get missed but not as nearly as much as they used to Um, so that's one way you can be born with something genetic Uh, just because it's genetic doesn't mean that your mom or dad has to have hearing loss if your mom and dad do have hearing loss or they are deaf that does not mean that you will be Um, it's you know most deaf parents have hearing children so it's pretty amazing how that works. Um, other yeah, things is a
1: recessive trait, right? Like blue eyes and stuff.
0: There's both. So there's recessive genes. There's the autosomal dominant genes. So it could be either one. Um, and then there's also there's different. Um, uh, I don't want to say just diseases, but there's like there are diseases and syndromes that can cause hearing loss as well. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a genetic thing that it was given to you by a parent. You couldn't have a syndrome just as a result of that's your genetic makeup, but it wasn't necessarily passed on by your parents Um, could just be a freak thing. Um, it also can be a result of deprivation of oxygen or nutrients while you're in utero or at any point in time later in life. You know, if you have a traumatic brain injury, if you lose too much oxygen for too long, you can lose your hearing. Skull fractures, that can cause hearing loss. Um, the biggest thing I will say, though, that causes he- hearing loss is noise. Noise doesn't have to just be, oh, I listened, I had a firework go off at, at, next to my ear. I mean, that's one way that's called sudden hearing loss or sudden sensory neural hearing loss. But you know, like you're, you're wearing headphones all day, every day. I mean, that's a lot of sound pressure going at your ears all day, every day, this generation, the Gen X, the Gen Y, the millennials with the way that we use headphones and we use cell phones and we are listening to things all the time we are likely going to slowly but surely experience some degree of noise-induced hearing loss. One of the first signs and symptoms is tinnitus or tinnitus, and that is ringing in the ears. And it may start off intermittent a little bit here and there, and it may get more and more over the years. And what that is, is just the neurological response to the changes in hearing that your body is experiencing
1: man uh we should just like end this interview right now so I get this <laughs> on. uh so man and you're making me think like when i go to the gym and stuff i usually crank up my music when i'm exercising so i don't should do it. Maybe not be doing that <laughs> so uh question yes it, it would make sense that loud noises um and things like that would break your eardrums and, and eventually kind of hurt your ears um What about even if it's like any sort of regular audio, but just the consistency of it? Like do your ears need a break, basically? Is it like even if it was quiet, but if it's just all day long, you know, twenty years straight or something, is it like your ears need rest just like any other part of your body?
0: Yes. So what it is is how sound works, is it's sound pressure, okay? And when you have headphones on, you are reducing that small sound pressure, and the sound is literally back jumping back, bouncing back and forth between your eardrums and the headphones. So it's not necessarily that your eardrum itself is breaking down, but the sound pressure is building up, going through your going through your eardrum. There's little bones behind your eardrum, and then it gets sent down to the hearing nerve itself within the structure called a cochlea. I won't go into all that, but there's a hearing nerve within in there. Um, and it's directly connected to your brain stem and it goes on up to your brain. But what happens is that constant, even if it's a moderate level, hours on end, that sound pressure just kind of nagging at your ears, that's a lot. And that can affect long term you know, the quality of your hearing because of because of just having that constant stimulation. And yes, you should take breaks. You should absolutely take breaks from listening like that.
1: Uh, just yet another reason that people should meditate. There's just like a million reasons yes. that everyone should meditate. Yeah. Um, so this also makes me think, uh, sorry, I don't mean this to be like the uh, Blake Fletcher help questions hour, but uh, <laughs> like the the headphones that I use while I exercise Are Mm -hmm. the earbud type and specifically the earbud type, um, like not the ones that like come with an iPhone or anything, but the kind with kind of like those sport like suction tips that like really like make it so there's like a soundproof like suctioned off thing in your ears. (laughs) Is that basically like the worst type you could be wearing (laughs) them because it's not allowing anything to escape?
0: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it is because, and then what are you doing? You want to, it's all about that bass, right? So, like, you're cranking it up and you're getting pumped up for your music, and you are just keep building up that sound pressure. The more, the higher the sound pressure, the louder the sound and the more damage it can do. So, I'm not saying don't use those, but if you are going to use those, you have to turn down your music. It's better to let some of that sound escape out of your ears otherwise.
1: There's no way I'm going to be able to lift as heavy of weights. I mean, I'm just telling you right now. So, and you know, like spring and summer is coming up. So I don't know what you want me to do, Lauren. Come on.
0: Well, then you know what? Well just you're just going to have to get hearing aids at a
1: younger age. How about that? <laughs> for sure. I'll be like looking good poolside, but with hearing aids and it, it'll be great. <laughs> it'll
0: be awesome. Yeah. I wear blue
1: ones.
0: So <laughs> they, I rock them.
1: <laughs> all right. Cool. Yeah. You got to get ones that like match your bathing suit or something so that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Got to be looking good with them. Yeah, <laughs> for
1: sure. Um, all right. So tell us a little bit more about life as an audiologist. And then we'll talk about um, kind of the work that you're doing right now. So uh, is that. Like I guess, just tell us the breadth of things that an audiologist does. Obviously, you test yeah, people's so, hearing.
0: Yeah, so we are the, the diagnostic and treating diagnostic and treating clinicians for people with hearing challenges or hearing difficulties. So I have my AUD, which stands for Doctor of Audiology or Doctorate in Audiology. And so I'm a clinical doctor, not a medical doctor. So i that means that I'm a doctor that's licensed to work with individuals who have um, hearing difficulties, whether it is hearing loss related to noise, whether they're born with it, or let's say that they have tinnitus, you know, the ringing in the ears that I mentioned earlier. I help, pe- I help people find solutions for that because there are solutions for that as well. Um, I also work with people at a variety of ages. So I can. an audiologist can work with babies all the way up through the end of life and everything in between. If there is a medical issue, so let's say that I did need tubes in my ears when I was a little girl where I had to put the little PE tubes in my ears and my ears were constantly draining. An ENT or an ear, nose and throat, otherwise known as an otolaryngologist, that type of physician or surgeon will medic- manage the medical side, but I handle the all the other components. So if there is still a hearing aid needed on top of that in one or both ears, or let's say that there was a type of hearing loss that was severe enough to where cochlear implants were needed, um, we'll talk more on that later, I'm sure. But the surgeon, the ENT, would do the actual implantation of the surgical device or the surgery for the implant. And I would do the managing of the actual programming of the device, teaching the patient how to work with the device and utilize it in their everyday life. Um, They also do another area of audiology is they do industrial testing or they work strictly in industry, meaning factories, where they make sure... That they work with sound acousticians and make sure that the sound levels are appropriate. You know, um, there are guidelines throughout our nation that state that things can only be a certain decibel or a certain loudness level for it to be safe. Or if it is over 90 decibels, they can only be in there for X amount of hours before they need a break. So that's another area that they can do. Um, They can also work in schools. They can work in schools and work with teachers and children who have hearing loss in the schools to make sure they have those uh, resources that they need. Um, Additionally, they can work in uh, hospital settings where they work right alongside the surgeons or they can work um, on, on a team, on a clinical team with them. Um, And finally, the other area that a lot of people don't think about is actually just in the manufacturer side of the field. There are tons of different devices between hearing aids, assistive technology, cochlear implants, and there's tons of companies. A lot of audiologists work at those companies to train other audiologists and other people that may be working with those devices and developing them as well. There's a lot of audiologists that do research and work at the university level. And that's a kind of the last big scope of which an audiologist uh, covers.
1: Cool. Love it. So let's talk about a couple of those different options that uh, that are available for people right now. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. um, uh, hearing aids and cochlear implants. Because uh, yeah. cochlear implant, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're deaf, is your only option. Correct?
0: Um, good choice so, or good point, the way to describe that. So if you're deaf to a point where you have so much hearing loss that a hearing aids itself won't help you, if you want to utilize spoken language, if you want to utilize any hearing that you may have or any of the hearing nerve you may have, then yes, a co- cochlear implants are pretty much your only option. There are some rare cases where people are born without actual cochleas, but they still have a hearing nerve at the level of the brainstem. And they are now doing um, surgeries on something what's called an ABI, which is an auditory brainstem implant. That is newer, and it's not as common but they function in a similar way to a cochlear implant where they need to be surgically implanted. That's um, but those are just an extreme, yeah, it's in extreme cases. And it's like, if you don't have a cochlea, I mean, where else are they going to go? And that's, right. that's the other alternative measure they have. But yes, if you want to use spoken language as your means of communicating and you are deaf then a cochlear implant. And then, like I said, rare cases an ABI is the only route to take.
1: Okay, so tell everyone about what a uh, a hearing aid is doing versus what a cochlear implant is doing, um, and like you know why someone would need one versus the other.
0: Awesome point. So a cochlear implant itself is not actually taking sound and turning it up. That's not what it's doing. What it is doing is. It is actually taking sound and it is reintroducing it to the cochlea or the inner ear in an electrical stimulation type of fashion. So when somebody gets a cochlear implant, you may see a little circle that is magnet. There's a magnet connected to the upper go about two inches straight up on your ear and about an inch back. And that's the spot where a little circle will, um, the magnet will connect there. And then there's a wire that connects to a piece that hangs on the back of the ear. It's a C-shaped type of device. It's called a processor. It kind of looks like a hearing aid, but nothing actually goes into the ear. That is a cochlear implant, but that's just the processor. That's the external component of it there is an implant that is actually on the other side of the device as well and they connect via electromagnetic a little electromagnetic field so to speak so it's use if it, there's a microphone on that external piece it picks up the sound it sends it through the coil and like i said it's electrically stimulating using current to actually Tell the inner ear that sound is coming through and it simulates it that way. It does not need to turn it up louder because it is the way, because of the way it is introducing sound to the inner ear. A hearing aid, however, is different. The hearing aid is actually turning up sound according to what pitches you need it turned up at. I mentioned earlier that I hear low pitches a lot better than I hear high pitches. So my hearing aid detects sound coming in, and let's say that certain pitch that's coming in is, I don't know, a thousand hertz, which is a certain pitch. It knows that I can't hear a thousand hertz until it's at a certain loudness level or 50 decibels. So it goes, all right, let me take that certain pitch and turn it up to a level loud enough that I know Lauren is able to hear it. That prescription is put into the hearing aids based off of the hearing loss itself. And the audiologist does a lot of adjusting to make sure that it is comfortable for the person who's wearing the devices. And yes, the hearing aid is actually amplifying and then sending the sound through the ear the way you normally hear. You know, sound goes through your ear canal, through your eardrum, so on and so forth. A hearing aid sits on the ear, in the ear, and amplifies sound that way. So it's very different. They may look similar that they work in two very different ways.
1: That is such a good explanation of everything. So the, uh, first of all, I can't, that that's amazing how technology is now. And it's probably mm-hmm. been like that for a while, but like you were saying that it's, that, that these things are customized now on the hearing aid side, that it's doing it at yeah. different Hertz and frequencies. That's so freaking cool. Um, yeah. On the cochlear implant side, um, yeah. are, is it like the things on the outer ear are basically for lack of a better term like broken and and not operable on someone who is deaf so you're hardwiring into a spot deeper down that that still works but it basically it's it's not able to get any signal because the things further out are not giving it any signal but this thing is still alive like this thing the cochlea still works so like as long as we can hardwire into that cochlea, we can make something happen.
0: So what it actually is, is the hearing nerve this itself, that's the eighth cranial nerve. That nerve itself still works, but the little cells in the cochlea do not work. So what the actual cochlear implant does, it has something called an electrode array. And it's like a little tiny thin wire that runs along the coils or the circular formation of the cochlea. And it is overpowering those little cells. They're called inner and outer hair cells in there. And those cells do not work properly, but that hearing nerve does work. Hopefully, that's what makes a very successful cochlear implant. If the hearing nerve is working really well, then the the electrodes go ahead and stimulate in that fashion. So yeah that's a, your interpretation is good it's like a, a hardwiring so to speak to overcome where the challenge is we have to bypass that problem area and that problem area is in the cochlea
1: okay interesting um now when you were earlier talking about um being deaf you said like mm-hmm. basically you're so hard of hearing that you're deaf, or like your hearing is so bad that you're deaf. Uh-huh. I think people don't usually think of it like that. It's just like, well, you're deaf. Like, like there's right. just there's a total difference between being hearing um, and hard of hearing would be closer to being hearing, and then people who are deaf, it's like, no, it's all broken. Like, it doesn't work, yeah. so you can't hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it sounds like that's not the way it should be defined. That being deaf is like w- once your hearing is so bad to a certain point, you could just. Go ahead and be labeled as deaf.
0: That's a good point, and I think this is a good spot to to describe here the difference between hearing impaired or hard of hearing. So that's one category. Have somebody with hearing loss. That's where I see I put myself at. And then there's what we say little D de- deaf or lowercase deaf, and then there's big D or capital D deaf. And some people are probably like, "What in the world are they talking about?"
1: I'm so, so happy somebody, you're talking about this.
0: this is <laughs> yeah, great. it's really important though to understand yeah. it. Um, so as a person with hearing loss or hard of hearing, hearing impaired, whatever you want to call it, I describe myself as a person who I'm immersed in a hearing world. You know, obviously I'm, I'm doing a podcast right now. I'm relying on my hearing, but I, you, I have to utilize some type of device, whether it be hearing aids or other devices so that I can communicate in my definition of effective communication. I don't use sign language as a means of communication. I use my hearing as much as possible. But I have good usable hearing. If I didn't, I wouldn't be able to do this call, right? So um, I definitely have good usable hearing on doing listening and things like that. So um, if we take that and put that aside and we look at somebody who is deaf, Little d deaf. Um, there are different degrees of hearing loss, and somebody once they reach a certain point, you know, let's say you have severe to profound hearing loss in both ears, you would be then termed as a technically a person who is deaf. However, you may still utilize hearing aids and or cochlear implants to communicate. If you use cochlear implants or hearing aids to communicate, you may not. necessarily use sign language as a means of communicating. Okay, so you may still say, "I yes, I have hearing loss, or yes, I am deaf. However, I want to be able to use what I can use of my hearing to communicate. People who have severe to profound hearing loss, though, are going to be more significantly impacted by the way that in which they may be able to communicate. If they have a, if they have cochlear implants, a cochlear implant or cochlear implants, that may not be the case. They may be very successful in cochlear implant users and communicate just as well as or better than me on the phone or in other situations. So They are that successful in many cases. Um, but that person may not identify themselves as a person who uses anything than auditory or spoken language to communicate. Then you have a third category of people who are big D deaf. This is not a deafness in terms of they have more hearing loss than any of the other two groups that I just mentioned. This is somebody who traditionally speaking identifies themselves as culturally deaf. If they use a hearing aid at all It is more just for safety purposes, just for environmental sounds to hear it just in case a horn was honking as they were crossing the road. However, they do not use spoken language or auditory stimuli as a means of communicating. They don't rely on that. They would use sign language of some sort. And of course, very commonly in the United States, they use American sign language. There are many different dialects, just like there are in spoken language, Um, and this is the way that they feel most comfortable communicating, and this is their first language. A lot of these individuals that um, identify as Big D Deaf, it's not just, oh, we have bad hearing. They don't look at hearing loss as hearing loss. They look at it as a positive thing that they are deaf culturally they are happy to be in this group because they have a connection with each other unlike any other group around them has in their in their feelings so it's like a culture of italian folks or a culture you know that's really what i'm talking about when i say culture
1: but even better than Uh, that it's hard it's really hard for this is another reason why people should go to a deaf place so they can get to see the interactions between deaf people And why someone would be proud of that, and why someone Mm -hmm. would want to be a part of that community, um, and why there—and this is something we'll talk about a little bit—and why there is a real decision for people Mm -hmm. who are deaf, who you know, people who are in their forties, fifties, whatever. um, Cochlear implants weren't great. A, they they didn't—they didn't exist for people's grandparents. Then for people that are in their like thirties, forties, fifties, whatever, right now the option like it was very early on in the cochlear implant and it was scary and you know yeah. people like wouldn't really do it, still it. Is. yeah and so it, they, if you're deaf and you have deaf children uh back then you you might not have given it beca- given your child a cochlear implant because it, now it's been invented but maybe i'm scared of it but more yeah. importantly it we have this beautiful great community and there's nothing wrong that like I'm deaf. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. I'm getting along in the world. I am, you know, an engineer or something. And I have a great Mm -hmm. job. And uh, I went to a good school. And what, uh, what, like, what am I telling my kid that there's something wrong with them? Like what they can't get by if they can't hear that they, and if they can hear now, are they... Um, they're going to grow up with this whole other culture that's not our culture like our culture is being deaf in this community and are they going to kind of turn their back on that so it's man just this whole like uh interesting conundrum and world uh that people capital d deaf deaf are are part of and yeah deaf parents
0: yeah i mean because you bring up a good point like with them having children it's like you know, if I have a set of values, like uh, even using, let's use religion as an example. My husband and I are both a certain religion. We have a child. Are we just going to not introduce that religion to them? No, that's part of our values, our culture. That's who we are. We're going to raise our child, you know, to, to have whatever that may be. And it's hard for deaf parents. So a lot of Deaf individuals marry other deaf individuals who are culturally deaf. That's very true. My husband is typically hearing um, that wasn't on purpose or by accident. It was just natural. how it happened. Um, but a lot of culturally deaf individuals marry other culturally deaf individuals and they have children with normal hearing or typical hearing, as I should say. And they, are, they, call, they identify themselves as CODAs and that stands for children of deaf adults or a child of deaf adults. That's a whole subset culture in and of itself. So there's all of the, and, and they're kind of like their connection between the deaf world and the hearing world. It's crazy, interesting.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. It, yeah, I, 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 can empathize with the the whole uh, conundrum of a deaf parent having a deaf child, and in and, and having this thing of like, do I, do I give this small child a cochlear implant, and now they're going to interact with the rest of the world, and I do not know how to interact with the, you know, I can I cannot, I shouldn't say I can't interact with the world, I can't speak with the rest of the world, because to your to your example about religion, it. It's difficult because it's not, it, w- it would be like if you and your husband were one religion um, that was uh, smaller and kind of ostracized, and mm-hmm. there was a much bigger, more popular, more like fun religion and stuff, and you purposely when you have a child you purposely introduce them to the bigger more fun one and be like oh uh, yeah no but we're still just over here with you know yeah. our religion That's and it's like a very
0: good example you
1: know why would you purposely introduce it like as if you expect your kid to then come back and want to hang out with you and your religion when they are you know they have this whole big other world to explore you know yeah um yeah. I it's got to be it, there's got to be such a fear of abandonment I guess on the parents there part. is
0: that's exactly what it is. I mean, and you would think that this is a thing of the past and it's not a thing of the past. I mean, I, I still, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll bring this up in a little bit too, but I, I'm currently fa- facing this almost on a daily basis with. Yeah. Families.
1: So I'm sorry, let's just talk about this right now. So that's why we're spending a lot of time talking about this, by the way, is what Lauren is doing right now, which is uh, some really cool work. So tell us uh, all about the work that you're, doing right now and how you kind of get to see these decisions play out in these decisions that people make
0: yes so currently i am not working clinically as an audiologist but i have a very different role where i'm working in early intervention services where i work with families of children with hearing loss so i talked earlier about um, children be identified early and earlier with hearing loss um, thanks to our universal newborn hearing screening and that is important. I don't care if you're big D or little G deaf and I don't care if you're hard of hearing or what you have to know if your child has hearing loss because you need to be able to communicate with them. And I tell them I don't care the way you communicate. I don't care if it's American Sign Language. I don't care if you make up your own language with your hand, but you have to use a language, whether it be spoken language or a sign language. To communicate with your child. That's first and foremost, most important. They right. need to learn. You know, that's a imp- very that's imperative. So I am basically the way I describe myself is I bridge the gap for families between the clinical world and what's going on at home with things that have been recommended to them. So I literally get to go to these families' homes. Sometimes their appointments. Sometimes, you know, if they're and and kids are in daycares, and I work with them. I say, "What What are your goals for your child?" I work with service coordinators, social workers, speech pathologists, a number of other people who whatever that child may need, and we say, "What do you want for your child?" And a lot of times they to be happy. They'd say, "Great." You know, what else do you want? And they'll say, "Well, I want my child to be able to." hear or I want them to be able to talk or I want them to be able to communicate with me and I love when they say that I say what does that look like for you and your family and when I work with families who are deaf and I say culture set in the cultural sense they'll you would think that they all say I want them to use sign language they don't a lot of times they go I want them to be able to sign but I can handle that mom and dad are both deaf they use sign language I can handle that part of it we'll teach them sign language but we also want them to have the opportunity to hear as well. Okay, so I help them. Okay, this is what your goal is for your child. How do we get to that goal? All right, you want your child to be able to hear and use spoken language in addition to American Sign Language. So English as a second language is what we're looking at here. If you want this, your child has to consistently wear his hearing aids All day, every day, except for, you know, when bathing or sleeping and, you know, napping or uh, swimming and um, or if they were around really loud noises. But you have to have them wear their hearing aids consistently all day and talk to them if that's your goal. If that's not important to you, then we don't have to worry about that. But if it is important to you, that's what we need to do to get to those outcomes. We write these outcomes and these are on legal documents. These are outcomes that are. Um, that it is our roles as professionals to support the family to get there. We are not doing direct therapy. We are coaching the family in a way that is comfortable for them. So it's my job is very different from family to family. You know, you I just may made have... me
1: realize sorry, I never uh, to interrupt. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about that before that the same way that, let's say, um, you mentioned that maybe sometimes growing up you wouldn't want to wear your hearing aids but you were mm-hmm. not even that like rebellious of a kid and how like right. other kids are just like you know what f this i'm tired of wearing this yeah. thing that it's got to be uh much more difficult to enforce like how you how you were saying uh, for <laughs> the deaf parents like hey you need to make sure your kid's wearing this every day well it's like well i'm deaf so how do i right like it's like you know it's it's not like your parents where they're yelling at you and you're if you're not paying attention it's like hey lauren are you not wearing your hearing aid because i was yelling and i noticed that you didn't do anything it's like their house you could hear a pin drop at any time it's just dead silent so it, it like there's no real way to check is this kid like wearing their hearing aid right you know if you're not if you can't
0: see it or whatever that's a good point but the cool thing about what i do is is we call it family training so it's not just with mom it's not just with dad. If their siblings get, they're involved too. I have one specific family that I work with. Mom and dad are both deaf. Two of the kids are deaf and the oldest sibling is hearing. And I use him all the time. I'm like, I need you to do this. I need you to check this. And he loves it because he knows when I come, he's like, all right, Miss Lauren, what do I need to check today? you know, and he, he's six years old and, um, it's awesome because the mom and dad know I'm doing that. I bring an interpreter with me and they, the interpreter interprets everything. And you know, they love that I incorporate him and use him to do those things because that's what this is all about. And I always tell them, and if at any point in time you decide this is not something you want for your family, let me know and we'll make um, adjustments to what these goals are. And, you know, a lot of the kids I work with too are multiply involved where it's not just hearing loss, but there may be other things going on as well. There's other syndromes that affect vision. You know, um, I've worked with kids who are deafblind. That's a very tough situation. But then I've worked with other kids who were more like my situation, typically hearing mom and dad, never heard of hearing loss in their life, never heard of an audiologist, never heard of hearing aids, didn't really know much about them. And all of a sudden they get this baby. It's like, Oh, by the way, they have hearing loss and you need to wear hearing aids. If you want them to talk, those are the families, you know, that I say, they go, I want spoken language, no offense. I don't want sign language, but that's not what our family uses. And I also respect that while I give them all of the options for modes of communication, their first language is English or whatever the language is. Not always. I work with Somali families, Spanish families, Italian. Uh, what did I miss? yeah, so I work with people who speak all different languages, But whatever their first lang- spoken language is, I have to respect the fact, like in my family, that their first language is English, and that's what they want their child to learn. But there are cases if the hearing loss is severe to profound, and you know even if they get a co- get cochlear implants, they say, look, you still may want to consider having a backup option for communication because this may not be as natural for your child to learn as it was for you or your other children to learn. So really laying all those things out where they're letting them know what the research is, the standard of care, what the gold standards are and recommendations are for their child based on their hearing loss. And being that I have my doctorate in audiology, which is not typical of somebody in my role to, you know, to have, I can help really bridge those gaps because that audiologist or ENT may have had 35 minutes in a room to tell them all these things. And the parent walked out and just goes, what the hell just happened in there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine also just the amount of education then for uh, hearing parents with deaf children um, Mm -hmm. or really hard of hearing children on trying to explain to them that there even is a... Like, you know, I luckily was introduced to this in high school and everything, but I got to imagine most of these people have no idea that there is a deaf culture and like all, you know, all these beautiful, cool things about being deaf. And that it's not just like a curse, you know? Like, it's not just this terrible way to be born. And that that this is something... That this could be something nice for your child if you want to, you know, help them out with American Sign Language. And you can learn it too. And then they could um, be part of this other cool world versus just like, oh no, my child was cursed. You know, like they're just deaf. You and it's, uh,
0: got it. Yeah. You got it. You hit the nail on the head because it's like, oh, my child's cursed or they can't do things because they're deaf. And that, that is one thing that I really, you know, I try to be as unbiased as possible. I really do. But if their child is typically developing other than the hearing loss or deafness, no excuses. We work our butts off to get where we need to be because I don't want you making excuses for your child because there's hearing loss. And I would not be where I was at at this point in my life today or be the person who I am today if my parents were like, oh... Lauren has hearing loss, don't make her do that. No, they push me and push me and push me and I love my parents for it. And then, you know, when I went away to college and I went to school, I mean I think they overcompensated. I did everything. I was misindependent. I went away. I did this and I did that. I've been to other countries. I do all these things and they're still trying to help my twenty five year old brother out. <laughs> <laughs> with the so they I'm like, You guys should have pushed that one a little more, you know? So yeah. they I explain to families that you don't want to be overbearing just because of the deafness or hearing loss. You want to encourage them to move forward. Like you said, it's not a curse. It's not a bad thing. I tell families, and I make mom and dads cry all the time. I say, look, I would not give this up for the world. I wouldn't give up my hearing loss. I, you couldn't take it away from me and give me normal hearing because I wouldn't be who I Am yeah. I couldn't imagine having to go to bed at night with all my hearing. Are you kidding me? I love being able to unplug and get go to sleep. You know, yeah, for sure. And there are things that are neat. Do I sometimes wonder what it would be like? Yeah, sure, but not to a point where it's like, oh my gosh, I can't hear. You know, it's never affected me in that way. But the 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 hardest thing for me is, and the biggest point I need to, I I want to make in all of this, Blake, is that. I want people to know there's not a wrong decision and choosing hearing aids or implants or American sign language with whatever or sign language in general, whatever route is taken, you can make the best of it, but there is one wrong choice and that choice is doing nothing. I have families, you know, I have a wonderful family that I just met for the first time yesterday. There's five children. The oldest three children are typically hearing. The youngest two children are um, They're 19 months and six months. Both of them are deaf. The family is a Somali family, and so there's a little bit of a language barrier, but the family does not wish us to bring an interpreter there, but there's still some challenges in it, my explanations there. They are doing nothing at this point in time, and they figure is cochlear implants are scary to them, which I understand because the the physician told him, he said, you, if you want to communicate with your child, you either have to do sign language or cochlear implants. And that's true. I mean, you have to do one or the other in order to communicate or use communication boards or something. They do nothing. They just talk to the kids normally. And this beautiful 19 month old, she just learned to walk a week ago. That's concerning in and of itself. Um, and she is... Oh gosh, she's beautiful. And the, and the mom's a good mom, don't get me wrong, but it's not been... They have not been appropriately educated on the urgency of making a decision, whether it be sign language or cochlear implants. Yes. Um, the little girl, they tried hearing aids for a little bit. She hated them, so they never made her wear them again. The little boy is currently actually wearing hearing aids, but He's truly deaf, so they're barely doing anything for him. So, my goal in the two hours we met with them yesterday, I'm like, Look, I know it's scary, and I don't, you know, I know I can't imagine being in your shoes, but you're a great mom, and I'm not here to tell you how to be a mom. I'm just here to coach you through picking a communication strategy or mechanism that will be best for your family. If you, and she's like, Well, maybe we will do sign language, it'll be easier. And we'll just learn a few signs. I said, let's take, for example, if you, you speak Somali at home and I you just took 10 Somali words, because she said, use the example of 10 signs, to take 10 Somali words, would you have taught your children just 10 Somali words? She's like, no, I teach them everything I know. I said, exactly. So if you choose sign language for these youngest two children, you all have to learn not just signs. For eat and you know milk and more and this or that, you have to learn the language together so you can truly develop communication with your children, so they can form social bonds, so they can understand their feelings, emotions themselves, so they can become independent. If you do nothing, that will create and really just snowball developmental delay after developmental delay after developmental delay because they have no way of learning or communicating
1: 100 percent communication is one of those things that we take for granted or language is one of those things that we take for granted it's like the uh if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it doesn't make a sound if you have no words in your head yes. you it is like do you think and to what extent do you think and to what extent right. are you forming thoughts about the world around you know what i'm saying like yeah um, yes. it's uh it's definitely putting your your child at an incredible disservice the other thing that you just said is people don't understand possibly the urgency of making these uh these choices um which yeah. makes me think of uh probably like the best documentary i've ever seen and that's because i really enjoy the whole deaf world thing uh but it, i just pulled it up just so i would know the right name of it i'll put a link to this on on the website but it's called here and now uh here like h-e-a-r oh, and it is, so it is so beautiful and it's good. so good and it's this 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 woman director irene uh Brodsky, and she follows her parents who are in their like 60s or something now and it tells the whole story of her parents who are the most amazing beautiful wonderful people and both of her parents are deaf and uh and yeah, like he was this awesome engineer and all these things, and it, they tell the story of their beautiful life together, and they have the most amazing, nice relationship. These old, this older deaf couple, and they decide to get cochlear implants when they're in their sixties or seventies or however oh. old they are, and oh. it is the most beautiful, sad, wonderful movie ever. Um, and it, it, you need to get a cochlear implant when you are very, very young. You, it's yeah. uh and this this movie kind of showcases that, and, and these people know know that when they're getting them, but in their mind mm-hmm. they're like, look, I'm really old. I just want to try hearing some stuff. It's okay. I know that I'm not gonna like you know learn English and yeah. like you know appreciate the opera or something. But Good I just point. want to hear some stuff while I'm old. But you need to get this cochlear implant. You need to get a cochlear implant when you're very young because you it's like your brain starts to like set itself up, you know, and you have this thing that they talked about in that they talk about in linguistics. And I'm sure probably in audiology as well as the language acquisition device that's like open within your brain. And it's like before the age of six, your brain is just this crazy sponge for learning new languages and learning new words and all these things. Mm -hmm. And after about the age of six, this language acquisition device that they call it, like kind of like turns off in your brain and everything becomes more difficult. So Long story short, like you don't want like, these words you got to be it. you are uh, you are on it. You're exactly right. <laughs> you don't want these words to be uh you don't want noises to be jarring to your child and, and you don't want it to be scary. You don't want uh that you want them to be able to learn as much as possible. But anyways, back to this movie. God, people y- y- like everyone has to watch this movie. It's uh yeah. it's amazing that this, this older couple, they they get the cochlear implants and at first, it's it's uh, I, I like cried when watching this movie. Like it's so funny and cute. The old man mm-hmm. is in his bathroom and he flushes the toilet, and it's like one of the most memorable scenes in any movie. He flushes the toilet and he starts. I can't remember. He starts like like laughing and he like he like can't <laughs> believe it. He's like, oh my gosh, like you know, like the toilet makes a noise, you know. And he's like he's like signing this, you know. He's not like saying yeah. this. He's like signing this to his wife and to like the camera and stuff, and everything's like subtitled. And he just you like the look on his face, and it's like you're seeing the the look on a like 70 year old man's face that looks like a six year old child or yeah. like a puppy or somebody seeing something yeah. for the very first time, but he's like in his 60s or 70s, and it's so beautiful and it's so heartwarming. And I like dare you to watch that scene and not like tear up watching him yeah. like get a kick out of flushing the toilet, and then he goes into yeah, and then he goes in the room and you can hear the fan like the, the fan on inside the room and stuff. And but then later on, and this like uh, uh, kind of uh, highlights the point about doing this for a kid when they're young, so they're not alarmed by everything. Uh, It is as the week goes on, the parents get more and more frustrated with their cochlear implants, and they end up uh, kind of deciding that they're not going to wear them over the course of the next like weeks and months and stuff like that because they they show then at first you know the first week or so all these experiences that they have are just so novel and and so exciting and fun and interesting to them. But for everything that's novel and interesting, when they go outside, uh, it's just bewildering, like the noises that they hear. And like to the point of when you were a kid and you said, oh, I can hear the TV. Oh, are they saying anything? It it was just Mm -hmm. noise to you. And you forget the fact that that us as people that can hear when we are experiencing anything in the world um particularly when we go outside uh you are selectively listening to things constantly and you would you would think to yourself like oh well i'm selectively listening to whatever's loudest so like you know i'm having this conversation with somebody of down the street or, or let's say there's like power lines above my head i'm not really going to be listening to the power lines because they're not very loud but i'm you know i'm talking to this person or whatever and then but then what if like a car drives by and then they honk their horn and like all these things you know y- We really don't appreciate how many sounds are going on at any given time when you are just like out in the world and you don't appreciate the fact that your brain is selectively listening to the things that you want to be listening to at any given time. And if you've never heard anything in your whole life and you just got the ability to learn when you were 70 years old, that skill does not exist so you walk outside and there's a car horn and there's the power lines and there's a bird and there's a dog and it's just it's so it becomes very very overbearing for this couple when they go outside and like there's you know they show them even like kind of like covering their ears up just like ah like it's uh it's too much you know and uh, you know how like when you yeah, experience crazy. something
0: you're like oh that struck a nerve and it's like just a phrase That's literally what's happening is because they have no memory bank for any of those things. So just like you said, it's so bewildering to them because they're like, what is going on? They don't have those connections. They don't make those connections to that horn honking as a car coming we hear those sounds and our brain goes, ah, no big deal, and right. we just put them by the wayside. Yeah, I on can ignore that
1: further. one. Like a plane flies overhead, oh, I can ignore that. I'm going to keep yeah. having this conversation. They don't know that they can ignore that. <laughs> like,
0: they, right. It's like it's everything like is something with, to pay attention to. It's almost like a like a somebody with attention deficit disorder was like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Like, it's constant like that because they don't know what to turn on and turn off to with those specific things. Like, I mean, it, it really is almost like a hyperactive attention deficit challenge when you had that because you don't have those connections. And even now, like when I work with families of young children, deaf or hard of hearing, I say, you have to help your child make connection to those different sounds. You know, I still struggle with that. You know, I don't hear well at distances. Um, I I don't, you know, I, I was sick the other day this past weekend and earlier this week. And I kept taking my temperature and my husband's like, Lauren, I was like, what? He's like, the thermometer is beeping. I don't shoot. I, I was like, did I? Did I used to hear that? I was like, Michael, did I used to hear that? He's like, oh no. <laughs> I know I used to hear that, so I know my hearing's changing a little bit, and yeah, it kind of freaks me out at times because I love music. I'd be terrified to not have any of my hearing. I admit that. I fully admit that to you. But I knew, like, I I couldn't hear that sound. But then at the same time. I have those connections already made in other areas to be able to say yes, I need that or no, I don't. Yeah, you know, I tell people this story too that I um I actually the we were in North Carolina a couple years ago. We used to live there, and we were outside sitting on our deck having a glass of wine. And I was like, man, I love the sounds of the, the crickets. And my husband's sitting there, and he's like, yeah, Lord, I don't hear any crickets, and I'm like what are you talking about? They're everywhere. And they're they're loud. The crickets, it's like, Lauren, there are no crickets going on. Here was the little peeper frog things. And we're going back and forth. We're dying laughing. He has to YouTube a video of crickets. I had made a poor association when I was a child that peep frogs were crickets. Cicadas were something. I I mixed up all of these sounds in nature because nobody helped me make those connections. because. I probably didn't really hear that. Wait, things. what was so, it
1: though? It was like a frog or something? It
0: was, they were frogs. They were like these little peeper frog things. I don't know what they are. I'm still confused which one <laughs> makes which sound. <laughs> I still don't know. But we were dying because he's like, that's not a cricket. So now I still don't really know unless I like, I still from time to time were like, wait, what's a cricket make? What sounds that make? Because a lot of times when people would tell me they have tinnitus or ringing in the ears, they're like, it sounds like crickets. And I'm like, Shoot, I don't know what a cricket
1: sounds like. That's so funny. But you have to
0: help people make those connections. And the people in here and now, they have nothing to tie that to. You have to have an auditory um, experience to be able to tie anything to. So even though I learned those things later, I still have a hard time making that appropriate connection because it was wrong in the first place, let alone not having anything to tie it to from the get-go.
1: Right, right. I I I also I just can't imagine how loud everything must seem at the. I'm sure they all, I'm sure they slowly turn up the volume type thing you know but yeah my god I can't imagine like how loud certain things must seem to you if you have you've not heard a thing your entire life and all of a sudden yeah. you hear something it's just gotta be like oh my god that was so loud like why did that happen.
0: And that's why it's so slow because when they do the mapping, mapping is a fancy word for programming of cochlear implants, everyone's current level is different depending on exactly where that device is on the inside. So there's not like a magic number that you set it at. You have to slowly just make it rise and look for their responses and tell them, you know, to respond. Like you're basically doing like a little hearing test, pitch by pitch in the office when you are activating their cochlear implant. But as soon as they detect anything, you go from, I hear nothing, I hear nothing, I hear nothing. To, oh my God, what is that? And so you have to find this happy medium of when they've had no sound to having sound. That's why it is so important to do it in children at early ages because their brains, like you said, they're like sponges. Their nerves are like sponges still at this point. It's so much easier to acclimate them and to rewire to go, the brain goes, oh, okay, this is hearing. I I got a spot where I could put this.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're making me think of another scene in that movie. Doesn't the wife? when she's going through that whole process of like they're showing that them in like the audiologist's office or whomever it is uh that it's doing all like the beeping noises you know like tell me when you can hear this and when she hears her first beep she starts crying doesn't she yeah oh yeah, my God. she
0: starts crying you guys yeah, you need pretty- to
1: watch this movie like right now it's it's so yeah. good it's awesome it's
0: powerful um,
1: very powerful all right, so let's go ahead and wind this thing down here, Lauren. I would love to know uh, a little bit about the relationship that you have with these children and how it's kind of impacted by the fact that you yourself are hard of hearing. So we've talked about the relationship that you have with the adults and talking mm-hmm. with them one way or the other. Um, is it all like babies and toddlers that you're dealing with? Or are there some actual children, children? And what is what is kind of like the talk like with them since you... Uh, it's nice. You know, you know, like when, when, uh, us nerdy adults, like, come to the weekend, you're like, Hey, like, I'm cool. Like, I know what I'm talking about. It's like, that's kind of like you, you know, you're like, Hey, like I'm, I'm cool. You know, like I, I know what's up. I can't really hear that well either.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. So I try not to go there because for certain families and, and it's, it's sometimes it's culturally based and I don't mean just deaf culture, but I mean, different cultures, like, uh, you know, I have, families from different countries, they want me to come there and fix their child, right? They want me to come and They're like, how are they doing? I'm like, this is not what it's about. I don't come there. Yeah, I bring some toys and things to interact with them. But uh, what I'm doing is whatever based on their goals are, let's say, for example, they have uh, their child having a hard time socializing. Children with hearing loss have significant challenges with socialization. Um, They misread social cues a lot of times. They are, they're kind of more in their own world. They don't go up to other children, initiate conversation. That's a big risk factor. Psychosocial and psychoeducational um, uh, areas of difficulty are very common in children's hearing loss. And so I'll see this, you know, I have a, a little guy right now. He's literally a genius. He's two years old and he reads literally he'll pull a book out of my bag and he reads. Okay. So he has these mad skills way up here, but when it comes to turn taking, sharing, reading emotions, understanding the expression on my face, he can't do it. So that's what we're working on with him. So I come there and, um, will you name him for me? So I don't slip. Tell me, give me a good name for this little guy, Jack, Jack. Okay. So I'll go there and I'm like, Jack. And he, you know, he's there. He's happy to know I'm there. And I'll use his toys and also maybe some toys or some things that I bring with a concept. I'll talk to grandma, who's usually there at that point in time with them. And, you know, talk about how the last few weeks have been going, what things have been good, what have not been so good. And for him, we do a lot of uh, games where it's like, oh, my turn. And there'll be some physical things in there. Like, "Ooh, that hurts. Jack, that really hurts my feelings when you don't give me a turn and you take all of my, we we're playing Hungry Hungry Hippo- Hippos, and you take all of my marbles. That's not fair that hurts my feelings. And I really focus on the facial cues and emotions, that I'm showing the parent or the grandparent or the caregiver, what I'm doing to really reiterate or reinforce what they could be doing in their everyday activity. They don't have to sit down and go, Hey, Jack, this is my smiley face. I'm happy, but embedding it into their daily lives. So I'm not totally changing what they're doing. I'm just highlighting things that need to be reiterated a bit stronger because of their hearing loss and the um, goals that they have for their child. But my relationship with these kids is so different depending on what their needs are. I mean, I have some kids who are bedridden and have no communication skills at all. Um, It's very devastating, all the way to... Like I said, highly functioning little genius children. And I work with these children from birth up until the age three. The day they turn three, my state-funded organization can no longer work with them, which Mm. is heartbreaking for me. Um, They go on to the school district, and they they work with them from there. But we, you know, I get down to their level. I socialize with them. I don't talk at them. We all talk together, and we really make sure that we know that this is about them. But we're, what we're there to do is follow directions or whatever it is. And I also, I'm pretty tough, you know? I want what's best for these kids. So I want these parents and caregivers to see good, strong examples of things that they can be doing every day, all day, consistently to create children who are very capable and able and independent. And they grow up to be hopefully in adults that will uh, function in the same manner.
1: That's awesome. Have you ever gotten to. Uh, or like maybe just bumped into one of your kids like around town or something later on after the fact
0: you know i've only been doing this for uh, as lito for about six months in this role. yes so because before i was working clinically working with um individuals of all ages so no and i've only had to let go i'm letting go of one little guy tomorrow and he's another guy who's multiply involved as well very limited communication skills he has uh syndrome called Barakat syndrome, and it's very, very rare, um, but we found a couple, two things that we do for him to communicate, and that's more than he's done in the past, so um, you know, some, sometimes you have little things like that, and other things, I go from kids having 10 words to 600 words, so I mean, it's crazy that the, the different variety of uh, ways that you help the family, and you have to realize that one small thing, you may see no changes, you know, I, I, you may see no changes at all, but you may have given them the skill set to be able to implement, you know, once they're three or older. Um, But I, I'm, that's one thing I know I'm, I'm struggling with already is letting go of some of these families that I feel like we still have a year or two. I wish we got until at least they were four or five, but really of coaching them and the family through the processes. But so I haven't had to deal with that too much yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, well, Lauren, this has all been so interesting. Thank you so much. We uh we usually try to finish every episode with a piece of advice. I uh I don't really know exactly what that would be for this. So let's finish off with uh Advice related to the headphones thing again. <laughs> what uh, yes. what were you? Uh, what would you recommend we do so that we do not end up with uh, some sort of hearing loss as we get older? <laughs>
0: um, I would recommend taking breaks. If you are wearing headphones all day, every like every day, Blake, <clears throat> like, um, you need to make <laughs> sure that you are giving yourself auditory breaks. You know, meditate, whatever it is. Um, you also need to make sure there was this whole campaign. It was called turn it to the left, meaning refer to the, you know, the volume dial to the left. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not even as true anymore. We know we push down on it or, but it's this <laughs> whole turn. I know I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people, but it's this turn it to the left campaign. And what the whole point is, is you may think it's awesome to have things nice and loud and it's clearer and you feel like it's easier to listen, but I'm telling you, I was born with hearing loss, most likely, so I don't know what it's like to have normal hearing. But I, it is, when I was working with older adults who lost their hearing or slowly, gradually lost their hearing, that's way more devastating to me because they're like, you don't know how good I used to be able to hear, how easy it was. And they don't have the compensatory strategies to help them. With their hearing loss, Mm -hmm. these compensatory strategies that I have have been almost innate because I was probably, if I wasn't born with hearing loss, really close to it. So I know how to, you know, compensate for my hearing loss. But when you slowly lose your hearing over time, you start to slowly withdraw. Depression rates are higher. Um, Cognitive decline is significantly higher because a lot you just pull yourself back, and a lot of people don't get help meaning hearing aids for seven years until after they actually need them seven years.
1: Wow. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, you know, I want to point out too, is um, with the the whole culture thing, I want you guys to just have a general understanding of there are different areas that people find themselves to be a better fit for. And I work for a center called deaf services center. And a lot of the people I work with are deaf, culturally deaf and use sign language And they have to accept me and my family's choices just like I accept theirs. But there's a huge culture, um, a deaf culture in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm at. And I've had people come up to me saying, why are you wearing hearing aids? Why don't you use sign language? Deaf individuals. And I say, your family taught you to sign? My family wanted me to be able to hear, to talk to them, and both are okay. And, And, you know, I think that's a good message is recognizing that Maybe the method of choice wouldn't be yours, but realizing that somebody's finding a way of communicating and connecting with other human beings, that's the important part of it.
1: Totally, focus on the right thing. Lauren, I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for all of the info and sharing your life with us. This has been great. We appreciate it.
0: Absolutely, Blake. Your show is awesome. I think what you're doing is enlightening for so many people. And hopefully, um, you know, this is inspiring in one way or another for people to have a better understanding of people who have hearing loss or are deaf or even to just turn down their music. That would be good,
1: too. (laughs) Definitely. Absolutely. Thanks, Lauren. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link. right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys